AT&T ThreatTrack is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. Hello, welcome to AT&T ThreatTrack for December 22nd, 2015. This program provides network security highlights, discussion, and countermeasures for cyber threats. Uh, today, we're joined uh, via uh, webcast or by a video by, uh, with Jim Clausing. Hey, Jim, how you doing? Good. It's good to be back. All right. Good to have you here. You've been, you were off for uh, quite a bit there, and we've been exchanging a lot of days with each other with the holidays, so I haven't talked to you in a while. Uh, also on the couch here, we have uh, Stan Nurlov. How you doing, Stan? Very well. Good, glad to have you here also. And Matt Kaiser, one of our regulars as well. How you doing, Matt? Pretty good, you? All right, very good, thanks. So as we enter the holiday here, we have um, our little bit of a shortened holiday broadcast, uh, but we do have some interesting stories to cover. Stan, you're looking at this one. Uh, there's a report out about some bugs in the FireEye NX appliance. Uh, FireEye being a big malware analysis, a lot of people use it on their egress perimeter to detect malware within their enterprise and stop it and whatnot. Yeah, this is, uh, this is actually a vulnerability found by the Google Project Zero initiative. I didn't really know that Google had this initiative, but apparently it's uh, to weed out some of these zero days and things like that and let vendors know, you know they have problems. So leave it to them to find what I think is one of the coolest uh, vulnerabilities, if there was such a thing as a cool vulnerability. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, the way uh, a lot of the enterprises set up, right? We have a lot of uh, protections out there, right? Uh, most enterprises, they have the firewalls and whatever, but they also have these passive monitoring boxes like the FireEye NX appliances. And these boxes, they, they kind of listen to what's going on in the and network. FireEye can be active too, just uh, as, a, okay. yeah, as an aside. That's, that's a good point. <laughs> so in retrospect, they, they listen to the traffic and they kind of trying to gauge what's going on, right? If there is a threat that gets detected and then there's some kind of analysis that happens in the background. And like you mentioned, you know, once they do detect a threat, they can uh, actively respond. So to have a vulnerability in this type of technology, it's, uh, I don't know, it's pretty powerful. Actually, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing to me. I, I, I always thought that it would be possible to have something like this where you know, just passively monitoring the network, you're kind of off to the side or, or even in line, and suddenly your device can become infected, even though you might not be the intended target, just from all the analysis you're doing. Right. So that's exactly what's happening here. So uh, the FireEye boxes, they're basically always listening to the network and they're decoding the different types of files that go through. And uh, in their malware processing framework as part of that appliance, um, they have uh, certain helper functions that they use in order to open up some of the file types. And for a specific one, the Java one, they use a decompiler to help in the malware analysis, mm -hmm. and that's the Jode <clears throat> decompiler. And uh, I guess it's a freely available kind of package or tool uh, that anybody could use. And so they were using that in their appliance, and there's like a serialization issue, so part of the decoding process actually allows the malware to run. And so it's not truly like a passive or static analysis technology at that point, which you would assume, which we're kind of all trained, and this is just a static analysis, it won't run the malware. But the problem here is that it actually will, 
and probably there was some sort of an oversight, and I hate to stipulate how it happened, but probably some sort of oversight where we don't really know how some of these open source tools work exactly 100% of the right. way. If they run the code or not, we kind of assume that they're static. Well, in this case, um, the, the guys at Google figured out that uh, you know, there was some uh, ability to run exploit code. So what this means is that a bad guy, if you have one of these unpatched uh, devices out there on your network now, the FireEyes, which they should be patched because they usually have this um, they have automatic, automatic patching, patching process. Yeah. Uh, but if you still had one that's unpatched and you're observing traffic that has a specifically crafted jar file, um, it'll actually execute and will run on your appliance. So you know this thing presumably is in like some sort of secure part of your management interface and it's a way to kind of bridge the gap, right? We're always talking about make sure your management port is not exposed to the internet. Well here, just by passively monitoring, you possibly are taking a management right. type device and infecting it. You've tricked the appliance into exactly. you know, thinking your code looks suspicious that you're passing by it and it goes, tries to unwrap it and it explodes in its face, basically. Exactly. <laughs> and then you can now take over that management interface as well, potentially, you know, right, if right. the attacker knew what they were doing. It's a little, it's probably, far-fetched and it's, it's probably a little bit harder to do some of these exploits, but it is feasible. I kind of always thought it might be, but uh, here Google proved to us that it is. So as far as we know, Google, the Project Zero team, discovered it, notified FireEye, and they got it fixed. They patched it. We don't know of any other actors out there using it for malicious purposes. Uh, I haven't read anything that, that would say that, uh, but it's probably safe to assume that these kinds of projects, uh, or pro you know, bigger nation states, would also be testing uh, vendors like FireEye and trying to discover vulnerabilities in that. And they get the patch too, which uh, makes it a little bit easier. For yeah, them to yeah. If you get the, the patch, you go back place. and look, figure out. Yeah, yeah it's always the more. It's always very important to make sure you're patching. But this uh, write-up is actually very good and goes into detail everything that happened. Um, one thing that maybe a few people might have missed is that there was actually two bugs reported as part of this. There was this uh, jar serialization kind of vulnerability. And then there's this privilege escalation that you would also want to run. So the way FireEye designed the appliance is that there's a special like user or special account that runs the malware analysis module. Mm -hmm. So once you exploit that, you just get that credential or that account. But to become root on the appliance, you would need to use a privilege escalation uh, bug. So they, you could see that they had it in their blog post, but they redacted a few of the, of the words. They actually redacted only 15 words from their blog post. They highlighted them in black. So you can't see what it says. And that's enough to actually not be able to understand what they're talking about. So they're giving a little bit of time to FireEye to fix this part. Uh, you won't be able, uh, you know, this is not a remotely executable thing. Uh, in combination with the, uh, with the malware analysis module, it would have been something that somebody would use, but we'll just have to be patient and wait for a fix from FireEye to fix whatever this uh, privilege escalation vulnerability is. Okay. So the details are not disclosed. It's probably not very big, because only 15 words separate us from knowing exactly how to exploit it. Uh, but we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll find out about it soon. Okay, so I guess, uh for the viewers, something you'd want to do is make sure, go look at your appliances if you use FireEye. Make sure you did get that patch applied yes. uh, to deal with this issue. Um, and when the next remote, one comes out, go ahead, Jim. Sure, yeah, and when the next one comes out to fix the privilege escalation, 
make sure they apply that one pretty quick too. Yep. Right, right. The plan jump. Because I don't think it has to be on. I think by default that automatic update is on. But um, yeah, there's different environments yeah, and some people configure things differently. So it's definitely important uh, to, to always make sure you're patched to these things. Right, right. I'm not that surprised that this, this sort of bug shows up. I mean, you've got a system that has to be able to handle how many different file types, parse them all properly, and, and then an app, and even the ones that are you know, specifically crafted to be malicious, it has to handle those as well. So the system has to be at least as complex as every file type that it has to handle. Mm -hmm. And that's the same with an antivirus. It's, it's, it's that same kind of like your attack service gets bigger as you handle more types. Yeah. So, And this FireEye kind of is like a network-based antivirus in a certain sense. Mm -hmm. And if you were able to compromise it, you know, let's say I fished you with a malicious jar file in your email, and then you went, or, or URL to go fetch it, and you went and fetched it, and then FireEye sees that and says, oh, let me take a look at this and see what this is. And then all of a sudden it Boom. would trigger it. So it wouldn't be very difficult to um, you know, get that targeted at various places pretty easily if you were able to figure out how to, to leverage that. So uh, you definitely want to make sure that that's fixed, as well as the privilege escalation one once it comes out. So because um, we rely on these things to protect us. <laughs> Uh, I was going to take a quick look at the uh, internet weather, and there's some interesting things in here, um, some things we've talked about uh, previously. In terms of the most probe ports, uh, which is the most scanning activity in mass, could be just a few number of sources doing that, but they're doing a lot of scanning scan probes. We see 1900 UDP uh, actually jumped up to the top of the bubble here. It went up 18 spots from last week. We're going to take a look and explain that. It's not as surprising as you would think. The next one is 23 TCP Telnet. We see that all the time as well. 53.413 UDP. We're going to look at that in the next section as well uh, after this one because we see that being scanned a lot lately. That's the Netis backdoor uh, and we've looked at that and I think Brian talked about it last week and maybe the week before. 22 TCP SSH uh, is kind of holding steady at uh, the fourth position. Uh, your 445 TCP server message block file sharing on Windows is up a spot. Web traffic is down three positions. No real reason for that, probably. That one fluctuates quite a bit. 3306 TCP is up five positions, which I thought was a little interesting, but when I looked at the chart, it doesn't really kind of show anything special. Um, it's not really up a gigantic amount. Um, and I also looked around, I wasn't able to find any specific... Um, vulnerabilities that might be getting scanned for recently. And but What's that software? Oh, MySQL Server? Okay. Uh, sorry, yeah. And then uh, 3389 TCP is your remote desktop protocol. We see that in our charts quite a bit all the time. That actually moved up two positions, so it's on the top 10 this week. And then 21320, we're going to take a look at a picture of that one as well. That one is uh, proxies. Uh, so there's some family of malware out there. I can't remember. I want to say it's an adware family or one of these... Uh, pieces of malware that will, once they infect your computer, they open a proxy port to allow that device to act as a proxy. So uh, there are other people out there looking, hey, can I find, maybe I can leverage this guy's botnet as part of my uh, proxy, you know, proxy network. So let's take a look first at the 1900 UDP, which is a simple service discovery protocol. We're seeing this used a lot in reflection attacks. You can see the reason for this is there is a little bit, if you look at, this is a 15-day picture, so basically two weeks. 
You can see that some of these peaks were not very high two weeks ago, although they did get up into the 550-ish million scan flows per hour, although my picture is overlapping it a little bit. But for some reason, on the 14th and 15th, very low amount of SSDP scanning. I don't really have an explanation for that other than maybe somebody was not using it for attack traffic or they and or were not scanning for it actively, but it, there was a significant dip, as you can see on the picture here. So when we do these top 10 charts, uh, I've been wanting to improve this, but what we're really doing is I'm looking at yesterday, uh, we filmed this on Tuesdays, so looking at Monday as compared to the previous week's Monday and not really factoring in all the stuff that might have happened in between or whatnot. Um, so when we're comparing the two, we're looking really at um, the 14th, which is this picture here, versus the 21st, which is the second arrow to the right. And you can see there's quite a big difference here, and that's why you're seeing this big 18 position climb in activity. It is still quite a bit of traffic. And the one thing I will say is uh, most of the scanners are from China and the US. It's not really that many uh, scan sources. It's maybe a couple of hundred or something. And there's definitely some DDoS reflection traffic mixed in here because our scan algorithms, when it comes to UDP, they kind of get a little confused sometimes. They're not quite sure if it's really scanning or not. Um, well, there's no state plus um, it depends on how many, um, how many sources there are. So if it's like one target or if I'm reflecting and I'm backscattering to a lot of different sources or something, it might think that that looks like scanning. I see. Uh, kind so of if thing. that's the victim, it looks like he's scanning, but he's right. just responding. So uh, in any event, uh, that explains that one. Uh, but I guess we always talk about SSDP. If you have that open or exposed, really it's not, it shouldn't be opened uh, to the internet. It's really for your local LAN to kind of do this stuff on your network to open ports and do things, uh, but you really don't need it open or exposed to the internet. But there are a lot of home routers and other people might have directly connected devices that uh, it's there. So people are using it as a kind of pivot point to reflect traffic as part of DDoS attacks or distributed reflection DDoS attacks. The next one was the uh, MySQL server. I guess I did create a chart for this. Uh, I did forget, so there was something a little bit interesting here. You'll notice that in the past week, and I could have gone back further, but if you look two weeks back, the amount of kind of real high spikes is very few. They're kind of more hanging in this 20 to 30 million scan flows per hour without very much regular spiking. But in the past week or so, uh, you can see there's a lot of this much more aggressive spikiness in here in the past week. So somebody's looking for something, obviously related to My MySQL Server. I don't know what that is, but they could just be brute force. They might just look for it and then try to brute force the password to get into the server and uh, uh, access the data. Or it could be some other exploit that I don't know about. Oracle did uh, release some patches uh, last month, I think. And so that there may have been something that I didn't notice in their patch bundle there that they may have patched in MySQL. So there might be a okay, vulnerability right. they're looking at. That we do sometimes see that with the you know with the Oracle database on fifteen twenty one, and Oracle right. now owns MySQL as well. So there may have been something there, but we do okay, often right. see that around their quarterly patching. Then we see the scanning go up and that. So that may, that may also be what's happening here. Right, right. So the next one, this one's not very interesting, but this is that 21.320 TCP. 
It's a very stable amount of scanning. And this is a 180 day picture here. I went back basically that six months, but you could see it's very stable, like tables, almost shelves of, of instead of that normal kind of sawtooth waveform we usually see, which probably means, I, I didn't get a chance to look, but it probably means there's a very limited number of sources that are just scanning for long periods of time very regularly as opposed to getting a job and then the fast ones complete first and the slower ones with DSL modems or whatever complete later and that's why you get that kind of sawtooth. But in any event, somebody's scanning for that as well. Good to know. If you see activity on port 21320 on your network, that would be something you'd probably want to pay attention to because it probably means you have infected hosts and they're acting as proxy servers. And that could be a leverage point for other things too that you don't even want to. What I, what I think we, would be interesting is to see if these are all located in either like a similar sort of hosting site or if they've got some sort of similarity in the bandwidth available to them. Right, right. Because they seem, like you said, to be very consistent. Yeah, I mean, that would be interesting, not only for this one, but for some of the sawtooth ones to kind of confirm what I'm saying there, um, to look at the batches that you see early on versus the bottom of the sawtooth to see if the ones at the bottom are all real slow access types versus a mix of high and slow at the beginning kind of thing. Um, but you that, could have also that's gotten an analysis message uh, later, for example. So that's true. They've got one C2, he's only able to send out so many. So that might have explained. Yeah, we usually see that as another little spike, though, yeah. but it depends on um, how they break up their botnet to do their scanning. Or maybe they don't break it up. Maybe they just give everybody all the jobs and tell them when you're done, they could. again, and let me know what happens. Yeah. We don't really know. Everybody does things differently with their botnets. Uh, that's, that's the downside of all this, that there's no hard and fast rules on how all this works. Um, so the, uh, in terms of most sources probing, this is always a much more stable chart because it's kind of factoring in of who's, how many sources are doing scanning on these various ports, not necessarily the volume of scanning, but the number of scan sources. And it's very hard to get a lot of sources all doing things in unison at the same time. So this would be very indicative of botnet operations, uh, where you've got a bunch of hosts doing scanning at once. Less likely that it's a few actors doing scanning like you can get on the previous uh, pie chart. So again, 23 TCP Telnet, we know that that's usually at the top here. It's probably factoring in at like 33%, just eyeballing it roughly there, of the total scanning volume is uh, Telnet. And that's all these home routers, uh, embedded devices and whatnot. We're gonna take a look at a picture of that. 53.413, also number two position. So he's he used to never be on the chart, but now he's up on this chart and that's that Netis backdoor. So somebody's really aggressively looking for that and we'll take a look at that one as well. 445 TCP is your Windows file sharing again. This ICMP stuff is probably just backscatter of things trying to find out if hosts are alive and, and whatnot, which could be uh, side effects of scanning depending on how you trigger your scanning or how not you, but how the bad guys trigger their scanning. So I generally don't factor them in as being uh, important. 27015 UDP, that is Steam when, uh, Valve's uh, protocol for gaming. There is some discussion of that being used as a possible reflection vector. I haven't actually seen it myself, but I haven't really studied that as well. I know that this can appear as scanning though, because you got a lot of these gamers out there using Steam and they go to refresh their lists of game servers and that can look like a big scan because I'm gonna you know, ping hundreds of thousands of hosts looking to see if they're up and get the speed that they're up. 
but I'd like to find out a little bit more of that at some point. Maybe that's an analysis we can do uh, come at the start of the year. Uh, and then uh, SSH, 22 TCP, uh, holding steady at position 9, and that's your SSH uh, more the, similar to the 23 TCP stuff. So this is a year-long picture of the 23 TCP Telnet scanning, which is a little interesting, and I, oh, I probably should have gotten a two-year chart, but because even last year, back in 2014, we had a significant amount of traffic, and you could see towards the tail end, or I guess maybe it's the beginning here of this year, that we were up around 150 million scan sources per hour. That's pretty high. Obviously, that's why it's the number one position on the chart. Uh, but then there was a big dip where it went down to like very low, 10 million scan sources per hour in the early April timeframe, I wanna say here. And then it's since kind of just been creeping up slowly, slowly, slowly over the year. Uh, a couple of dips here and there, but for the most part, this is a pretty upward trend. And this is that thing that we've been talking about ad nauseum, that there's a lot of these IoT, Internet of Things, insecure things, devices out there, security DVRs, your Soho routers, network attached storage. Um, there's probably some other types of devices. That, well, actually, there's a lot of other weird devices, but these comprise the majority of them. And you would be surprised at how many times when you, we see these scan sources doing this type of thing, or if you got scanned on port 23 TCP, if you just try to hit that scan source on port 80 and 443 or 8080, how many times a web page will show up that says I'm a such and such type of router or a DVR system. So there's a lot of these out there. People are probably just putting them on the network without thinking about the security implications thereof, and you really need to think about that. Yeah, it is something that it's performing a function for you, and you're just assuming that whoever built this thing and you bought it at some store and you put it on your network that they did all the due diligence to make sure, and they may have, but don't leave the default password in. Don't expose the ports to the internet unless they need to be. Um, so, anyway, I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> I, I would love to know what caused that that dip midway. Oh, the, the dip? Year. Early, yeah, I'm not quite sure what that, why that happened. Other than, I mean, I know that once they get infected, they become part of a botnet, and there's many, many, many <laughs> different actors out there that are basically vying for these devices. So, you know, if they if one actor gets in there and puts his malware implant on, a week later, somebody else might come on, get rid of that guy's, put his own on, and then maybe a week later, that user reboots their router and now it's clean again. And then a week later, somebody else comes in and puts their thing. So it's this kind of never-ending cycle until the owners of these devices, they have to do something to protect them. Or, uh, or if the thing the, just dies. Yeah, you know, or it dies and they upgrade to something maybe more secure. But um, Maybe there was a sale on new routers. <laughs> less, less secure. secure. Yeah. Well, hopefully that's not the case. But in any event, um, that's kind of what happens there. They just kind of keep going through this cycle of infection, reinfection. Because if you do reboot them, most of them, if they reboot, they kind of come up clean with the firmware. Because mm -hmm. uh, it's not a persistent infection, most of these. Here's the... Uh, chart for the 53413 Netis backdoor. This is an interesting backdoor, talking about backdoors on routers, right? This is another one, I don't know if we ever got an explanation of why it's there, but if you send a packet on port 53413 UDP to these types of routers, and they have this vulnerability, they will accept that packet and then do what's in there. It's a, it's a command injection. Yeah, it's like a command injection kind of thing. 
Uh, so you can see, and this has more of this sawtooth waveform here, where you can see, you know, initial spike and these gradual dips as ones finish before others, et cetera. And there's been some aggressive scanning over the past 30 to 60 days, I want to say. Well, even when you look back like 28 days or whatever this is, there was really very, very little to nothing of scanning on this um, at the very beginning of this picture here. But then somebody's been really trying to um, uh, recruit. And when we took a look, we took a look at some of this a couple of weeks ago, and I think Brian showed some of these pictures. But uh, since it's UDP, they don't have to establish a connection. So if you have something on your, uh, like a honeypot or something that's just passively capturing packets, chances are you're going to get some of these packets heading your way because they're just spewing them across the entire internet without rhyme or reason, just trying to see if anybody will take the bait, basically, right? And when you look at what's actually in the packet, you can see there's some instructions usually. It's not much, but they do some things where they'll, uh, you know, CD a directory and then use wget to go fetch, fetch the malware and then run that malware. And usually, and we took a look at some of these, that initial one is just kind of a dropper that's going to go fetch more malware or various versions and then actually run those. Uh, so it's interesting that you can kind of see, and there's a bunch of different variations of code out there and actors who seem to be using this. I wouldn't say there's a ton of them, but in just the quick look I had done, I probably saw like five or six different variants. Um, but there may be three of them were the same guy with just slightly different tweaks in his stuff there. Or at least it looked like it was the same guy from what I can tell. So interesting stuff. And then I wanted to follow up. Brian last week uh, did a chart on FTP scanning. There has been some increased FTP scanning lately. It's not a giant amount. It's about, you know, 1,500 to 2,000 sources at the peak here. But what I kind of wanted to point out is that while it was increasing, and that's what Brian was showing last week, because I think, what was that, like the 14th or something of the show, that you were seeing kind of around this third or fourth spike here is probably what he showed. It has settled into kind of a normal pattern of scanning. But when you look back, what we used to see, it's way off track from... You know, we basically didn't see very much scanning at all on FTP. So there's a lot more aggressive interest in scanning for FTP servers. So that's something that you should be aware of if um, you do run an FTP server and make sure you have it secured, patched, uh, don't have anonymous login access to it where people can write files to it and whatnot. That would be bad. All right, so that's the show for today. Uh, thank you for joining us. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at attthreattrack at list.att.com. You can also find the AT&T Threat Track program on uh, the AT&T Tech Channel, as well as on YouTube and iTunes. Uh, and we would be very happy if you follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at ATT Security. There's a lot of interesting security things that are discussed on there besides just our show. So it's an interesting Twitter feed to watch. Uh, thanks, Jim. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Stan, for joining me today. I'm John Hogaboom. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Until then, keep your network safe, and happy holidays, everybody. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity. <laughs>